The code sets up high standards of performance for motion picture producers. It states the considerations which good taste and community value make necessary in this universal form of entertainment. So that recording that we just listened to is a 1930 recording of former U.S. Postmaster General Will Hayes talking about the importance of the Motion Picture Production Code, or the Hayes Code, which he helped create. The Hayes Code was a set of rules that Hollywood films had to follow in order to be played publicly in movie theaters. And one of those rules was the prohibition of any displays of openly queer relationships or sexualities. So even though the Hayes Code ended in the late 1960s, it's had some pretty long-lasting effects on the ways that filmmakers use narrative, visual, and vocal cues to signal queerness, and also the ways in which audiences have been trained to pick up on these cues, whether or not they are even conscious of them. My name is Allie, and this podcast, Queer Coded, started as my, like, kind of thesis project thing in graduate school, and now (laughs) I've graduated but I'm just really bored and socially distanced in this pandemic, so I'm I'm continuing this for the time being. Originally, in the first five episodes of this podcast, um, we talked mostly about the history of subtextually queer or queer-coded characters in popular Hollywood films. Now that I'm continuing this project, kind of more for fun <laughs> and not to fulfill any requirements, Uh, It's evolved into just kind of generally talking about the history of LGBTQ plus presence in popular Hollywood films, and also we get into some things like gender and gender presentation and all of that. Each section of this podcast focuses on LGBTQ plus presence and history in two films from one genre. So this episode of Queer Coded is focusing on the genre of the teen sex comedy or the vulgar teen comedy and we're going to be looking at two films, the 2007 film Superbad and the 2018 film Blockers. And originally this was going to be one long episode but then it got really long. So now it's two episodes and this is part one where we talk about Superbad and in part two we'll talk about Blockers. And we're not officially talking about Booksmart or Love, Simon but they do (laughs) (laughs) but they do come up unofficially so just be prepared for that. So today our co-host is Austin Carr. Um that's your cue. Hey fans um (laughs) (laughs) I need to edit that out that was gross. If you're a true fan of this podcast, you'll recognize me. I've been on such hits as <laughs> the scary one and the one about Love, si- Love Simon. It was what also was about one? Mean Girls, but sure. Mean Girls? We talked about Mean Girls. <laughs> we did? I don't remember that at all. Did we not talk about Love, Simon? We talked about Love, Simon and Mean Girls. I had to keep steering us back oh. to Mean Girls because you just wanted to rant about Love, Simon. I was going to say, I... <laughs> I don't remember a single thing I said about Mean Girls, and I have, like, a docket of things I've written down about Love Simon, <laughs> so. Um, anyway, I, yeah, I'm, I'm an actor and a musician, and I live in Los Angeles, which qualifies me to talk about anything having to do with <laughs> Also, just to clarify, 
I have an intense emotional connection to scary movies and Love, Simon <laughs> slash Mean Girls. I don't have an intense connection to anything having to do with teen sex comedies. I don't know how I was cast for this part, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> you were cast for this part mostly. Well, partly because you were the one who introduced me to Blockers because you... Yeah, that is nice. I didn't realize that I was your. You were the catalyst. Drag mom. You were my drag (laughs) mother. Introduced you. That introduced you to blockers. Yeah. Um, I saw it on a plane, and I was like, "Oh, oh, it was a plane plane movie movie. for you." That makes so much sense. Because it's, I had zero expectations going into it, and I was like, "This is this is a lovely little movie." Wait, that makes so much sense because I remember thinking. Why has Austin seen this movie? But it makes so much sense that you I watched mean, it on a plane. <laughs> it was one of the, yeah, it was one of those situations where I'm like, I can either watch Blockers or like Godzilla Three: Return of the Lizard King. <laughs> so like, <laughs> which one am I gonna choose? I'm genuinely surprised you didn't pick Godzilla Three. But <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, we're gonna be talking about the teen sex comedy, which I have complicated feelings about. Whenever I watch high school movies, it's always kind of like watching, um, like watching like fraternity movies because I just have no experience with that world. Yeah, and it feels like a <laughs> fake thing to me, and so it's it weird feels to me. equally as like foreign. Yeah, <laughs> when people will be like, you know, high school like big parties and we're all in the cafeteria and food fight i'm like what this is like a disney movie to me like this is this is might as well be like a fairy tale because i have no experience with this probably because i grew up in a cult well and i think i mean i think that's partly because we did grow up in a weird like hyper christian isolated environment in the south but i also do think that like the reason I think it's interesting to talk about it, like, specifically within this context of, like, queer coding is I do think the concept of, like, how do we include gay kids in high school movies, especially specifically this genre of, like, the high school comedy and specifically, like, the teen sex comedy, which is all about, like, all your first, like, your first state, your, um, like, first sexual experience, you know what I mean? And it's, like, how do you do that when, like, so many gay people, I don't know what it's like for Zoomers these days, (laughs) I don't know what the kids do, but, like, for so many gay people growing up, like, that just was so not an option, and I think that that's reflected in, like, the film history of this particular genre as well. (laughs) Like, gay people don't really exist in teen sex comedies except as a punchline. (laughs) It's, I think that's, that's so weird because, like, that is very true where, like, gay characters are always, like, the punchline. Even now, they're still kind of like Even that. Like, still, Book yeah. Smart was still, like, had, like, the gay people, get the gay theater kids as the punchline, which I didn't think was, like, bad. I thought it was funny, and the person, the actor is really funny. Yeah. Um, but... It is, I feel like it is going to be interesting moving forward because I feel like high schools have already changed a lot. And so that, much. At least from what I've learned from TikTok. Um, <laughs> like, there's a lot, like, I don't think that, and also just listening to the way that young people talk about being gay in high school, there's not as much stigma about coming out and all of that kind of thing. Um, but the weird thing is that, like, that is not reflected in media at all yet. And I don't know if that's because the people who are making movies are still older so they still sort of have like 
the love Simon like experience. Like what they remember as their experience <laughs> of being, being like, I can't, that's, I think that's bottom line, like why Love, Simon was such a confusing movie for me because I was like, <laughs> this movie should have come out in like the 80s. Like it's, it's yeah. so um, disconnected from the current times yeah. of like, nope. If you were gay in a school in California in 2020, people would be like, who fucking cares? Like, you're such a boring person. Well, and that's Um, what I wonder with movies like The Prom, which I'm not a big fan of just because I don't... It's just not really my kind of movie personally. But I do wonder, like, the whole point of The Prom is it's about, like, a girl in Indiana who wants to go to the prom with her girlfriend, but, like, the PTA won't let her and I feel like it is kind of trying to get at this like yeah it's 2020 but if you live in Indiana you're behind the times which I think is real but also I don't yeah it's just it's difficult to gauge and to make movies about because yeah depending on like the setting is very important because depending on where you are you could have a completely different like gay high school experience or trans high school experience you know what but I, mean? I also think that the people who are in the position now to like write and make and produce movies just like have a completely different high school experience yeah. than the people who are going through it right now in a way that i don't know if it's ever been this different before you know what yeah. i mean like yeah like you could make a super bad when you are a 30 year old like person who still has that like straight male loser experience because not that much had changed at that time it was like video games are like more of a thing now and the internet is more of a thing now and cell phones are more of a thing but other than that the like typical dynamics of high school are are still very similar from like the early 2000s and like the 80s I don't think that much like losers are losers yeah, like Regardless, nerds are nerds, yeah. and like if you're out of shape, you can't get the girl, and like right, yeah, girls yeah, yeah. are still like the hot people, and they want to go with the football players. But now it's like, I think a lot has changed in high school dynamics, especially for like any kind of any flavor of queer person, where like yeah. there's so much less stigma about coming out. There's so much more like resources for coming out. I think high school movies as a genre is a thing that for whatever reason I think it's probably a bunch of different factors people just haven't really figured out how to update that concept it feels Um, like they haven't been updated since like the mid 90s yeah they just all those the every new high school movie I just still feel like this would be such a good like 2010 high school movie but it doesn't really reflect the issues that are happening at the times like peter made a really good point with this when um we were talking about book smart and he was like this movie literally would not exist if the writers of this movie knew anything about kids today because kids are all on snapchat so they know exactly where their friends are at all times like, yeah never that's be what like, was so weird to me is like everyone geotags locations these days all the time like the idea that you wouldn't know where a huge party was happening is like what <laughs> like everyone would know where a huge party it's was such happening. a yeah it's like such an old-timey plot device to be like but yeah we didn't get invited to the party where is it gonna be and it's like that's not no this isn't a problem that any current child is having right now yeah. so it just feels like such a out of place and time movie to make i don't know normally when people try to when adults try to write kid movies that have to do with social media it's like 
I went viral this morning with my picture <laughs> of me in my school outfit. And then it's like, I feel bad because I don't ever go viral. And it's like, that's this is never a conversation that any human child has had. Or they'll say like, they'll say something like, didn't we cancel her? And it's like, kids don't talk like this. Kids don't yeah. like, <laughs> like, they just don't like say old, shit like that. It's adult writers fundamentally not understanding like how social media works, which is so weird yeah. to me because I'm like, Who's writing these shows and movies? Is it all like 50-year-old men who still are on Facebook? I don't know. My thing is I I go back and forth between being like, maybe I just did not have this experience in high school and being like, maybe media invented this is nostalgic <laughs> concept of high school and it doesn't yeah. actually exist. Because I think a lot of it too is like the... the the perception we have of, like, the classic high school experience, I feel like, does come a lot from media. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess I just have a hard time connecting to the high school genre because I it was not my experience at all. And I'm kind of inherently distrustful of if this, like, genre reflects anything in real life at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's some, like, weird trash compactor-like sound happening in the background of this audio, but... Of yours. I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna stop talking or re-record, so just sorry. To it doesn't sound listening. bad over the. It doesn't sound bad over the phone, so that's good. Okay, good. Hopefully, it won't really get picked up. It's kind of annoying though. Anyway, that actually kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about, which is like the high school genre and specifically like the teen sex comedy or vulgar teen comedy it's that's the genre we're talking about so one of the books i read i actually have done the most research on this particular subject because originally like last i guess like over a year ago like two years ago now um when i was like planning this podcast and this project i wanted to talk just about specifically teen films so like teen really yeah yeah didn't happen um, so, like, teen rom-coms, teen sex comedies. So, I actually, like, have done the most research on the teen film genre, and I've done actually a lot on the teen sex comedy because when I was working on this podcast was when, like, Blockers had just come out and Booksmart was about to come out. So, I was like, oh, I should do a segment on the teen sex comedy because that's what both Blockers and Booksmart are kind of revamping or trying to. So I was like, oh, I should do research on that. So one of the authors I was reading, Catherine Driscoll, she wrote this book called An Introduction to Teen Film. And she talks a lot about what you were just saying about like how within teen film, there's this like weirdness where on some levels, the movies and the media produced about teenagers create like, like the idea of like losing your virginity being like a whole thing or like a ritual or prom being so important is on some level created by the media you consume but it's not just a one-way street like it's a two-way street you know what I mean like the culture and the media are constantly influencing each other but yeah, yeah a lot of high school tropes that we think about when we think of high school movies were in a way created by media for teens well which is I think it does kind of come down to generational gaps like I think a a large part of it is the people that are like writing and creating movies are making movies reflecting the high school experience that they had so I think Um, that partially that aspect of the people who created the genre of like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and like all of the 80s movies that were very high school like those people all went to high school in a time where high school just 
meant a completely different thing. Well, that's actually, that actually leads really well into this history segment. So I want to do like a brief history of the teen sex comedy, but also kind of the teen film in general. So in the 1950s and 1960s, so like before that time period, before the post-World War II time period, movies like made about and also made for teenagers weren't really a thing. And like the teenager as a concept was still pretty nebulous. So in the 50s and 60s, two things were happening. One was the rise of teenagers as a consumer base with, like, the money and the leisure time to go to the movies. And then two was, in 1968, the Motion Picture Production Code, or the Hayes Code, which obviously we've talked about on this podcast, transitioned into the rating system, pretty similar to the one we have today. There were some small differences. So that happened in 1968. So that was, like, a really big change, which... The teen sex comedy, kind of like you were saying, like a lot of people think of it as something from like the 70s and the 80s. So those movies were like, they have like uh, National Lampoon's Animal House, Revenge of the Nerds, Porky's, and they're normally about like middle class suburban white men having like one last night of crazy fun and they're super sexist and all this stuff. So a big part of the the vulgar teen sex comedy was to be like, we want to make a movie about how teenagers, but in this case, based on who it was about, how white, middle-class, suburban, straight, teenage, cis, teenage boys actually act and sound and what they actually do. And part of that was like treating sex more like flippantly and casually. But in the mid-80s to kind of early 90s, we have the AIDS crisis and that becoming more and more well-known. So movies got kind of freaked out about, like, well, how do we portray sex so flippantly when, like, AIDS is happening? You know what I mean? So that was when, like, you know, we transitioned to kind of, like, a John Hughes style (laughs) of, like, um, high school teen movie where it's not so much about, like, the losing your virginity. It's more about, like, your first kiss or, like, a wholesome romance, you know? Yeah, it's very romantic. Yeah, because everyone was terrified of AIDS. So then the late, like the mid to late 90s is when these movies start to kind of come back again. So I read an entire book on American Pie. It was actually super interesting. I'm blanking on the title now, but I'll I'll cite it at the end like I normally do. So in 1999, American Pie came out and it was like... Have you seen American Pie? Yeah, I watched it when I was like researching (laughs) this podcast like two years ago. And I was like... Oh my god, I, like, realistically, we probably should have talked about American Pie, because it is, like, a big turning point. yeah. Right. And it spawned, like, seven million sequels. I just, like, was like, I don't want to talk about this movie for an hour, because I don't like it, so. I've never seen it, and I never will. You would hate it. But American Pie was a big deal, because it revived the genre, but what American Pie kind of added was American Pie was made by people who maybe grew up on, like, these 70s and 80s high school movies. So they were thinking back to these movies. So what American Pie did was it wasn't marketed directly to teenagers anymore. It had more of, like, a cross-generational appeal because it's Mm. for teenagers now, well, now in 1999, and it's also for these like 35 year old men that's why like a movie like american pie has a lot more adult characters who are more involved and like well-rounded than they were in previous teen sex comedies Mm -hmm. is because like now that we're doing things for an adult audience we should probably have some adult characters who are involved as well 
I can't believe you saved me. Right. You saved me. I can't believe I owe you so much. You cared. I love you. I love you, man. I love you. I love you. I'm not even embarrassed to say it. I just, I, I love you. I'm not embarrassed. Love you. I love you. It's like, why don't we say that every day? Why can't we say it more often? I just love you. I just want to go to the rooftops and scream, I love my best friend, Evan. We should go up on my roof. For sure. Like, when you went away for Easter on your vacation, I'm like, I missed you. I missed you, too. I want the world to know. It's, it's, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Come here. Come here, man. Okay, so I'm gonna do a quick summary of Superbad. So Superbad came out in 2007. Um, it was directed by Greg, I'm gonna butcher this name, Greg Matola, Matala, whatever. And Superbad was produced by Judd Apatow. So the plot of Superbad is basically two boys, Seth and Evan, played by Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah, are like nerdy loser boys in high school. And their goal is to like go to a big high school party and lose their virginity before they graduate and go to college. So your classic like teen sex comedy kind of plot. And the whole movie is, like, about, you know, them on this big quest to get alcohol for this party so that they can go and have sex and be, like, real men before they go to college. But at the same time, the, there's this other, like, kind of conflict going on between the two of them where the Michael Sarah character is going to, I want to say Dartmouth, some, like, really good college. And Jonah Hill's character is not, so they're, like, really scared that... They're not going to be friends anymore once they go to college, but this movie is also all about, like, toxic masculinity and how hard it is for men to express feelings, so there's also that going on where they're, like, sad they're going to be moving away from each other and, like, all of that, but feel um, insecure about it. And then there's also kind of, like, a B-plot <laughs> going on with their friend so Seth and Evan's friend Fogel who gets a fake ID so that he can buy alcohol for them to take to this party so they can seem super cool but when he's buying the alcohol um there's a plane in the background of this whatever that's fine anyway when he's buying the alcohol the store gets robbed and two cops show up and Fogel kind of ends up hanging out with these two cops for the rest of the night the cops are played by Bill Hader and Seth Rogen and the cops really like identify with this like sad little loser nerd kid because they're like you know sad loser nerd adults yeah so basically this movie is about like it feels like a movie very much made like by about and for kind of these like nerdy white boys who were losers in high school and they're insecurities. So the film was written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg 
And it's based on Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's kind of experiences in high school in like the mid to late 1990s. And it's something they'd been working on for a while. That's why the two main characters in the film are named Seth and Evan. They're named after Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, the writers. And also Seth Rogen starred as a cop in the show. So Seth Rogen almost played the part of Seth in the film, but he was kind of, he was just, he was a little bit too old for the role by the time the movie was actually made. Um, So they ended up casting Jonah Hill instead, which was a little bit weird because Jonah Hill was, I think, around the same age Seth Rogen was at the time. I think they're pretty close in age. But Seth Rogen had met Jonah Hill when they were both filming The 40-Year-Old Virgin, also a Judd Apatow movie. And yeah, so they hit it off and decided that Jonah Hill would do a really good job with the part, even though he was a little bit old to play a high schooler. So audiences liked this movie a lot when it came out, and critics really liked this movie when it came out. It was very popular, and a lot of the critics talk about how great the chemistry is between Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill and between Seth, Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. It's confusing because there's character Seth and Seth Rogen. So a big part of why Superbad was so successful was because it was kind of like a nostalgic throwback to these like teen sex comedies of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but in a way that wasn't like just completely derivative or um, lazy or not interesting. Like they took a lot of those tropes and kind of tried to update them for this like modern period of 2007 and yeah it was pretty successful so what i want to talk about when it comes to super bad is i want to use super bad as like a jumping off point to talk about this genre because i don't i wouldn't you're welcome to disagree i would not make the argument that although i'm sure there are like a million like youtube compilations of them like saying i love you to each other i wouldn't say that jonah hill and Michael Sarah's characters are like gay actually and in love. <laughs> I feel like that's Oh no, not at all. Yeah, I feel like that's not what this movie is about. I feel like this movie is about which is what so many teen sex comedies or vulgar teen sex comedies are about, which is like how do we celebrate male friendship without being gay? <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> um Yeah, and there's a lot of like becoming a man tropes sort of like wrapped up in there and like what does it mean to be a grown-up and that yeah it's it's very like comes with the course that's not a phrase (laughs) what's what am i trying to think of like uh what is it something comes with the territory par for the course yeah yes yeah yeah yeah, par for the course that's the one i was thinking of it's very par for the course themes of like a high school teen movie not even really a teen sex comedy though but i guess sort of I feel like kind of. I mean, they don't talk about virginity, which I, I don't know. I have weird feeling. I'm using the term virginity and loss of virginity just because that's like how it's talked about. But I do think that they're like inherently just like weird concepts. um, Yeah. That also get messy too when you like get gay with things. I think that super bad, even though it is about like we're getting alcohol, it's also about like it is kind of still a little bit of the classic plot of like we have to lose our virginity before college, which is the plot of American Pie. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen it since I hated watching it the first time. <laughs> Couldn't tell you, but that sounds like what that movie would be about. <laughs> that seems like it's what American Pie is about. I don't remember a ton of it because I hated it so much. 
Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I do think Superbad is kind of following a lot of the same beats. Like, we want to go to the party. We're nerds. We want to have sex for the first time. But I do think, I don't know, with Superbad, I really get the vibe that it's made for adults, you know, who grew up watching these movies. Kind of. I well, So, I think that it just feels very nostalgic super to bad yeah so what super bad does really well is that it's it's one of those movies that both critiques the genre but also is like a really good staple of the genre yes which is kind of a rare movie in any genre of like you the plot is obviously like critiquing the whole thing of like the pressure to be a virgin and like guys can't be like this like at the core of the movie it is very sweet and there is like a, a lots of moments of like no it's it, very sentimental movie. like yeah like at the at, you, at the end of the journey you get to the point where you're like toxic masculinity is dumb like we should be able to express our affection for each other and also like root for each other in a way that isn't competitive and we shouldn't be obsessed with se- like both yeah. of them the whole night don't end up actually having sex one of them chooses not to the other one like passes gets- out <laughs> yeah it gets <laughs> shut down and then is fine with it sort of um so like that also is a cool way to end the movie of like them rejecting this pressure to have sex and like yeah. doing it on their own yeah um so like that obviously is a criticism of the way how rapey <laughs> this genre so of movie rapey. really is consent um, as a concept is bizarre in these movies well it's non-existent in these movies for the yeah it doesn't part. exist but i think the thing that makes me feel kind of weird about Superbad is that i think the reason it was so successful is not because it does a good critique of that genre i think the reason it was so successful is because it also like fits the genre beats because it also well. does the genre <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think that the guys who are watching it are, and are like, this movie's really funny and good. I don't think they're liking it because they're like, hmm, it's interesting how typically at the end of this goal, the, <laughs> the guys, the losers would be able to have sex with the hot, pretty, big, booby lady, and then they become the man. You know, like, I don't think that, I don't think that's why they like the movie super bad. I think they like it because of, like, the boner jokes and, like, the poop things. I don't know if there was But poop. I do think... Okay, well, this is something I want to talk about later, which, I I don't know, I'll talk about the misogyny in a second, but I do think that there is, like, even if it's not an overt thing for people who are, like, less nerdy than me, I do think that, like, the movie is very much, like, a celebration of, like, male homosocial bonding, so, like, the, um, Fogel character, McLovin, how, like, Okay, this is maybe a weird thing that I noticed, but, like, how... So, he's having sex with that girl when the cops come in on, and they walk in on him, right? And then they mm. apologize for cock-blocking him because he didn't get to finish and whatever. And then later, he shoots guns with them, and that's his, like, essentially, like, first orgasm experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they yeah. also have this whole, like, comedy bit where they compare, like, guns to dicks because that's what this movie is. But, like, that's, like, like him, like, shooting that gun with these two, like, adult men and being, like, I can be an adult like them. Like, that's, like, orgasmic, <laughs> which is, like, I don't know. It's, a like, I feel like even if it's not, even if someone walking away from that movie isn't, like, well, it's unusual that they didn't have sex. I do think they come away being, like, 
oh, this makes me feel warm, happy feelings about my friends and the male role models in my life. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that, that the thing that is very cool about that movie is, like, it's so geared around sex, but the coming-of-age moments are all, like, decisions or things that the characters go through that have nothing to do with sex. Yeah. Um. So, like, like with the shooting the gun <laughs> or, like, with all of the <laughs> trials that they have to go through in the night... Um, it's cool to like make a movie that's so obsessed with the idea of losing your virginity and then have the And then end. no one actually does. And then no one actually does, but y- you can tell that they've all like grown up a little bit by the yeah. end of the movie and like they've gone through this coming of age experience and it had nothing to do with sex. Yeah, I think that's cool. But back to what you were saying earlier about the kind of complicated nature of this movie where it's like critiquing yeah. and doing like... And I talked to you about this before we started recording, but the whole, like, like the way it does misogyny, like, there's, which something that American Pie was trying to do in the 90s was they were, like, the creators of it said, like, essentially, I don't remember the exact quote, but something like, in old teen sex comedies, girls are just, like, walking pairs of boobs, and we don't Mm -hmm. want that to be what our female characters are, so they did this, like, I feel like it's, like, a very 90s feminism thing of, like, being, like, our our girls aren't passive recipients, they're active and they're super sexual and they're like, so it's like a way to still over-sexualize your female characters, but be like, but we're feminists for doing but it they because they're active. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, but you're still framing them. They're still walking pairs of boobs. They just like get to be excited about being walking pairs of boobs, which like, eh. I th- Yeah, so- I think the ultimate test is like, can you name three things about this character <laughs> besides their body parts? Like, <laughs> distinguish them a... as a person. Yeah. Like, um, like everyone talks about how Emma Stone was in Superbad, but it's like, realistically, she's barely in the movie. And most of the time, <gasps> yeah. she's like, she's such a funny person and a funny actress, but she doesn't really get to be very funny in this movie. Um, no, that was so weird because I, I knew that that was one of her big, like, Blow up moments yeah. yeah like that was basically the moment Cause she, she does kind of steal scenes she's in because she is so funny well she it's not just that she's funny she's so goddamn charming in that movie yes. like she is so she just like it, she has such a great presence on screen that you can immediately like she's the perfect person to cast for that because it's like yeah i understand why this person would like immediately fall in love with her um but also she doesn't seem like a typical like high school hot girl um, she's like different than other girls but i do she think gets that... a black eye and is like cool with it <laughs> god that's awful <laughs> but i do think that that character could have been played like the way it's written i think someone who was played it more as just like a nice girl who's also hot and popular i think that it wouldn't have much impact on the movie you know what i mean because she's not that important to them. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah, Emma Stone I think steals the scenes yeah. and does well with the role. But I think because the role she's could a good easily... Performer. Right. But I think the role could have gone to someone less talented who did less with it. And she would just be, like, the nice hot girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, a good example of that is the moment where he falls forward and, like, hits her in the face with his <laughs> head. The reason it's so funny is because her reaction is so funny. Like, she, the way she, like, is like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's such a... <laughs> but, like, that, if that was, like, 
you know, like your typical like doe-eyed female lead, it would just be like, oh my gosh, like I have to go inside. You know, like it wouldn't, yeah. like, she would, but because it's Emma Stone, she was able to like make that a big comedic moment. Yeah. <laughs> but that's on her, you know, that's not on like right. the movie. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of how I feel about Superbad as a whole is like it, yes, it is, it does seem to be critiquing ideas of like rapey misogyny. At the end of the day, this movie is, like, a nostalgic celebration of these things, so it does. And, like, you were saying when you were, like, talking about the framing and, like, the the way the camera focuses on boobs and butts, like... Oh, my God, yeah. This is, like, at the end of the day, like, it kind of pushes back against this message that, like, against any non-misogynistic messages, the way the women are framed and not, like, Michael Sarah's girlfriend is just, like... I don't nothing. <laughs> I don't understand what even like high school stereotype she's supposed to be. Like I don't understand what's happening there and I don't think I need to to understand the movie. The like emptiness of every female character in yeah. that movie is very apparent. Like to some when extent you watch it. to some extent they are all interchangeable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jonah Hill's character could just as easily be into Becca and Michael Sarah well, no. be into someone else. And legitimately, it <laughs> I could not. Legitimately, I whenever they throughout the course of the movie when they were like saying people's names, I was like, wait, who's with Emma Stone? I was like, which one is it? Jonah Hill with Emma Stone or is it Michael Sarah? Because it genuinely does not matter. It doesn't. The matter. movie does not say a single characteristic about either of those women the no. entire time. Like it, there's never like we did this together. She likes to do this. Like, there's none of that. It's just, like, she exists and is hot. <laughs> like, and maybe I just missed that they have, like, a history together, so there's other things there, but it, the, at least the way that the story is in the movie, it just feels like it's very much, like, he thinks she's hot and is projecting a bunch of shit onto her that she didn't ask for. Yeah. But, I don't know. I guess all that being said, I guess what we should talk about with Superbad, other than misogyny is like like what works about it and this idea of like male homosocial bonding i think the things that that work about it is like i mean it's it's really really solid from a like screenwriting 101 stance like it's a very clean storyline right it's such a clean storyline like that you immediately understand who the two characters are they're very immediate tangible goals you get their motivations yeah everything is set up from the beginning like all of the emotional goals and the emotional conflict like it's all it all pays off in the end everything pays off in a really nice way the fact that it's over the course of one night is really cool. Yeah. Um. Every supporting character plays a role in the plot that other high school movies don't really do. Like a lot of times there's just wacky characters thrown in for jokes, but that's not the case. Like there's a lot of wacky characters, but they all play. But they play a role somehow. They serve a role in the overall story. And yeah. Like, um. It's a. It's a. It's a very good. I think the jokes also like work really well. I don't like boner jokes, but I think there were a lot of jokes that were funny mike i i mean i was saying this to when i was watching it but like michael sarah it's the first time i've ever seen him be like very funny i think that normally he plays the part of like i'm funny because i'm weird or like i'm funny because i'm awkward and juno and arrested development he's very funny because he's like people are putting things onto him and he's reacting and being like that's weird but in this one he he's like his timing is really good like his delivery of the jokes is very funny 
Um, the scene where he's singing to the people at the party who were doing coke, I was laughing really hard in that scene. <laughs> yeah, like, I think there's a lot of funny scenes beyond just the, like, stupid boner jokes. And I yeah. think that's why it's so successful. Because it, like, it does appeal, it appeals to both the people who were like, he, she got, he got a period on his leg. That's gross. <laughs> like, it appeals to those people. And it also appeals to the people who were like, you know, laughing at more of, like, the commentary stuff that's going yeah. on. Or, like, w- laughing at the stuff that these teenage boys are saying to each other with such confidence because they think that that's how, like, life is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that the fact that there is, a, like, the the nice emotional core between them is what makes it, like, a good screenplay beyond just, like, a good high school comedy. But you think it would have been successful regardless? I think it would have been successful if that had not existed whatsoever. That's probably true. I mean... Because, like, the jokes are solid and the story itself is, like, entertaining. Yeah. I guess And I don't think... I I think that if this had come out now, it would be very different. But at the time, like, that, like, 90s Dane Cook kind of comedy was still so influential that so many people were like, haha, like, this is, this is hilarious. Like, these awkward boys in, like, sexy situations with beer. I think that's why it did well. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. I don't think it was because of, like, the smart writing, you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, but... I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah. it's one of those movies that is so satisfying to watch from, like, a writing perspective. Because mm-hmm. you're just, like, they, like, every single scene is very intentional and adds something to it. And you're, like, oh, I understand why they, like, te- they like teach this in classes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's such a, it's, everything is like, so Like, literally well textbook. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a literally textbook, like, screenplay. Yeah. Okay, so this is the end of the teen sex comedy part one super bad and if you want to look more into the origins of this genre which is very um very controversial and has a very misogynist history uh and very queer phobic history some sources i used for this episode were american pie the anatomy of vulgar teen comedy by bill osgerby i mentioned this book earlier in the episode and again like i said earlier I hate American Pie and all of its many, many sequels, but I still think that this book is really interesting because it talks about the origins of this genre and their appeal. And I've always heard people talk about American Pie as kind of like a classic or a film that marked a change in film history or something, and I've never understood why it was important, and I didn't care enough to keep watching it, so this book was helpful for me. And then the other source I used a lot in this episode was Virgin Territory, representing sexual inexperience in film. It's a series of essays edited by Tamara Jeffers McDonald, and it covers like so many different eras of film history, and it gives a really great picture of the different treatments of the concept of virginity, especially when it comes to representing like teenagers in film. And it represents this concept from a bunch of different perspectives and different angles, and it was super interesting. So on the next episode of this podcast, we will actually talk about the queerness in this queer-coded podcast. And we'll talk about blockers and how it is offering a take on the teen sex comedy that is inclusive to 
women and LGBT plus people. I think I'm planning on uploading new episodes like every other week, but we'll see if that's uh, a little bit too optimistic. But again, I have literally nothing to do in this pandemic, so it might actually happen. But yeah, next episode is the teen sex comedy part two, and we're talking about blockers.